Well, I just want to say good morning once again, and honestly, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here, you know, with you all, and I'm so encouraged when we come together like this as, as a body for one reason. You know, I'm going to share a quick story. When I was in Mexico uh, to go visit my, my, um, my wife's uh, grandfather, he was real sick, and we were praying that the Lord would open up a door for the gospel to be shared. I've never been to this part of Mexico before. You know, all I know, my heart was really pressed hard to really go over there and share the gospel. And so my time of prayer before we went over there was me and my wife were praying in agreement that God would open up a door to share the gospel with not just her, grandfa- her grandfather, but also with her family in Mexico. Because there's a lot of like different religions that are over there, right? And so we wanted to bring the gospel, the gospel of grace that sets people free from not having to try to earn their way to God or by the good works, but just to let them know, man, look, God has done everything for you already. Like, like Jesus died for your sins, not so you can go and try to show him how much you can do, but, man, that he's loved you. He's done everything for you and me to be reconciled. And so as we go to Mexico, we're there, and we're at the hospital. And, and as we're at the hospital, I see all these people laid on the side of the building, and, and, and they're, they're needing care and help. And so I, I turned to my wife and I'm like, well, why aren't they getting help? I mean, I really don't know the culture. I don't know the people. And she begins to tell me, well, because they don't have money. They will not accept you in the hospital if you have no money. And I remember my heart being so, so broken by that. And, and, and not even a second later after my heart felt so broken and, 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 and torn by this, a guy comes out of the hospital building the doors. And he begins to say, Tenemos comida, tenemos café y agua para los católicos. He's saying, we have bread, we have water, we have coffee for the Catholics. And he had this big banner of, of, of the, the, uh, the, the Virgin of Guadalupe. And they're walking around with it. And my heart was so turned because you could see people, literally, people in need. People wanting water and food. And I remember my heart being so pressed by that. And I remember my heart was just crying out to the Lord, like, Lord, provide for these people, Lord. Lord, provide for them, Lord. Not even a minute later, Joanna's uncle, my wife's uncle, he begins to tell me there's another group of people who are under the bridge. And they preach the gospel. And they offer food and water to, it, to anybody. My heart was so torn. And I said, Lord... Open up a door for the gospel he preached. I began to share the hope of the gospel with Joanna's uncle, who, by the way, is a, like a pastor in training. And I remember him telling me, he's like, listen, God's placed on my heart to ask you to come preach at our church. And so at that moment when he told me that, I'm not going to lie, I was scared. Exactly what I've been praying for, the Lord responds. But then I cowered back. I got scared. And I said, well, let me pray about it. And I've been praying about it, you know? It's crazy, yeah. And so I told my wife, I'm like, listen, I think the, 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 the Lord is really opening up a door for the gospel to be shared. And I said, you know what? Let's just go for it. I've never preached a sermon in Spanish. I've spoken in Spanish. So for me, it was a very, very, very new thing. So that night before, I prepared this whole sermon in Spanish, and I studied it, and she helped me. We, we even woke up early in the morning to walk, you know, like the streets of Mexico, go get some tacos de barbacoa, you know, 
and have breakfast in the streets and go over there. And, and I was speaking out the sermon and reading over the text. When I got to the church, it's nothing like what I thought it would be. It was a room probably about the size of maybe four or five rows. And there was about three or four people there. And I remember the, him saying something and my heart being provoked and being like, man, you know what? The Lord really wants me to share a different message. And I've been practicing the whole morning, the night before, for a different message. And the Lord took me to, to take them to Ephesians chapter 2, to give them the hope of the gospel. And it was the best 10 minutes of my life, you know, the shortest sermon of my life. But you know what? That encouraged me. To this day, I'm reminded, I'm encouraged that when we pray for the Lord to open up doors, he will not not answer that, but he will answer that and respond because he wants his name and his glory to be known. And today, as we're continuing our act series, we're looking at the, the historical account of, of the apostles preaching the gospel, but with this boldness, with the courage, with the fierceness, regardless of what will come. Because, family, we live here in America, where if we preach the gospel, the worst that can happen to you, people will make fun of you, they'll call you a name, and they'll disregard you and say, oh, he's one of them people. But you go to another country where the gospel is illegal, where people are gathering underground as we speak this moment to praise the name of Jesus. If they get caught, they will be killed. If they profess faith in Christ, they will be killed. When we read the historical accounts of Acts, we're seeing apostles, disciples, people who have been changed and transformed by the gospel. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is what the word of the Lord says. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What they just heard was Peter proclaiming a message, a sermon of repentance, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. So about two years ago, um, maybe a little longer than three years ago, my race truck had burned down. And when my race truck burned down, I just kept the truck in basically at a lot. And I remember a couple of months after it burned down, I remember getting this message from this guy saying, hey, listen, I want to buy your parts from your truck. And so he begins to tell me about what he wants to buy from my truck, the mission he's trying to accomplish, how he's trying to set a record for being another fast extended cat, all these things. And I remember being, just hearing his story, hearing what he was saying, and it was like, it's like playing a record back again. It was like pressing rewind and start from the beginning because he sounded just like how I was when I started my mission to build my truck. But what I want to share is this. When he began to tell me his story and he begins to tell me how much money he's put in his truck and I begin to tell him my broken story of where the Lord brought me and my wife out of a broken marriage of adultery, a broken marriage of no hope, a broken marriage of self-centeredness where we argued and fought with each other, the point that we wanted to get a divorce. And he begins to open up. I've never met this guy. He's from Colorado. We'll call him Julio. He's from Colorado. And he starts to open up with me. And you know what he tells me? Floored me, absolutely floored me. He said, before I called you, do you know where I was coming from? I'm like, no, where? He's like, I just got done with my side chick. I just got done talking to her and being with her. His mistress, his other woman that wasn't his wife. And he begins to confess this to me. Now, prior to the Lord bringing me back and, 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 and humbling me, I didn't see him as like, man, that's pretty messed up, man. That's, that's really wrong. It is wrong. But he doesn't need it is wrong. He needs, listen, your sin is sin. You're broken. You need Jesus. That moment is when I brought in the gospel of grace, when I shared the hope. People recognize when they know they sin. We don't need to tell them, listen, man, you're really messed up. They know they're messed up. What they need is a hope. They need the gospel. They need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, bringing them to the point of repentance. They don't need condemnation. They don't, we try to guilt trip people that we know. I'll be the first one to tell you, I try to do that with my kids when I first had my kids. Guilt trip them. Well, if you don't do that, then you're going to get this taken away from you. If you don't listen to me, guess what? I'm not taking you such and such place. I can't believe you would do that. You're not a good kid. We don't need guilt tripping. What people need is the gospel. What we see in verse 37 is that whatever Peter spoke, it had the power to pierce. That word cut to the heart means pierced. It pierced the heart of the hearers. 
So we can go with boldness when we share the gospel, knowing that it pierces the heart. And listen, family, when he began to tell me his story of brokenness, I began to share the gospel, grace. God has done everything for you to redeem you, to reconcile you, to call you by name. God has done everything for us. I want us to turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is what the word of the Lord says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and the discerning thoughts, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The gospel has the piercing, penetrating, permeating power to bring to change a heart and a mind of a person that doesn't know Jesus. What Peter was proclaiming was Christ crucified and him resurrected. What he was, what he was proclaiming, the message that he was bringing, was a message that, listen, you guys killed Jesus, but it wasn't God's plan. It was in his foreknowledge. And he brings this message of hope. And you know what's interesting about that family is that when we pray for the doors of the gospel to be open. We'll be ready to share the hope of the gospel, not relying on our own strength, our own giftedness, because we have to be reminded of the why. We have to be reminded that anybody outside of Christ has no hope. They're dead in their trespasses with no hope. The world is a dying world, and we are the agents of change called to go forth and proclaim the gospels until the ends of the earth. And if death takes us in the process, then glory be to God. I will proclaim the gospel on my deathbed to my children and my children's children, and I pray and I hope the same for us, family, that we would have that same desire to bring the hope to the hopeless that don't know, they don't know the gospel. They know religion. They know things to do, not what's been done and accomplished for them. When we have this chance to share the gospel, we see that Peter points out in verse 39 that the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. The gospel is for everyone, family. You know, if we forget the why we share the gospel, why we make disciples, if we forget that, we make little of the work of of crosses Calvary, of what Jesus did on Calvary's hill. Because he's come down to rescue, he came down to rescue sinners like us. And so we're called to be those same agents of change to proclaim the gospel. But to know, listen, family, it's not us. It is God's word that is active. It is him using you as the agent of change to proclaim the gospel of hope. 
of calling people, man, to Jesus. Man, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Let me tell you how Jesus brought me from death to life, where I had no hope. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done. Because, see, sharing the gospel isn't knowing every single thing in the Bible. Sharing the gospel means making much of Jesus. Letting people know what Jesus has done for us. Because people will see your life changed. But we don't take credit. We say, Lord, this is your work. And we want people to see you did the change, Lord. Because I'm telling you, family, we could easily forget of God's redeeming grace and his work in our hearts. And to be reminded the why what we do what we do, why we share the gospel. If we don't go, who will go? How will they hear if we don't go? Don't we know that we will be before God in his presence and he will ask us what we did with our time on earth? Let's not waste our lives thinking about, you know, earning a better job or making much money or having more money, position, power, possessions. When we read in this text, they were giving away the things that they had, their possessions and giving as everyone needed. Because they weren't seeing life, this life, as the ultimate thing. They had a grander picture. They had a bigger picture in mind. And that's what I want us to encourage us to have, is to have that eternal focus in mind. You know, when, a, when an archer or a sharpshooter, when they're training, they have a target to shoot at. And there's a bullseye to tell you where the center's at. Our center and our focus as disciples of Jesus is to make disciples that make disciples. And we do it by proclaiming the word of God. We share the gospel with everybody, not just anybody that we want to, because we can be, we, we could be, we could be judgmental, can't we? Or am I just the only one? Am I just the only one? Can I get a show of hands? All right. All right, make sure I wasn't the only one in that. Thank you, brother, for your both hands. Appreciate that. We could be judgmental. And we don't want to share with certain people. We begin to think, oh, well, their sin is really bad. Like, oh, wow, he was a murderer. James 2.10. If we keep the whole law and break it at one point, we're guilty of breaking all of it. But you know what we do? We make, we make so much of the bigger sins that we think are bigger sins. When in God's eyes, a sin is a sin. A person who lies is the same person that murders in God's eyes. Sin is sin. And we need to be reminded, family, ultimately, that why we do what we do is to proclaim freedom, hope. There's life. It isn't about this life. It's about having our focus on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples who make disciples, because we're all disciple makers. We're all, everyone in this room is a disciple maker. But the question is, are you making a disciple that looks more like you or more like Jesus? Think about it. 
If you begin, if you begin your job as, let's say, as Brother Joe, as a mechanic, you start under somebody. You learn. You grow. Another mechanic's teaching you. And you learn the trades and the tricks of the trade from the mechanic that taught you. Oh, man, I learned this trick from, you know, from Brother Craig. And Brother Craig told me how to, you know, work this engine. You learn tricks and trades of the field. Every one of us have learned from somebody, our parents, our moms, our brothers, our sisters, our uncles. We're all disciple makers. But are we making more disciples that look more like us or more like Jesus? And so I want to encourage us, family, as we read this text, we see Peter proclaiming the gospel, and we see that God is doing a work in the people's hearts. But faithfully, we go and proclaim the gospel without fear, because you will look like a fool at times. Well, I love what Paul says. We look like a fool. We look like a fool for Christ. Because people will not like to hear the gospel. It's foolishness to them. They don't want to hear the gospel. But you know what? We do it because Christ commands us to do so. And we have a mission. Now watch this. What happens when a person becomes a disciple? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Stop right there. This is discipleship taking place. They're living life together. They're learning. They're fellowshipping together. They're breaking bread together. And they're praying together. Watch this. Go to Matthew 28 real quick. Verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. They're not teaching their own teaching. But they're doing what Jesus told them to do. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. This is what the word of the Lord says. And Jesus came to them. Oh, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They were not just teaching what they wanted to teach. They were teaching them what they learned from Jesus. This is the discipleship model being modeled out. Jesus taught them. Now the disciples were going to teach somebody else. And guess who we are now? We're the disciples of that generation from that, from, from that first beginning. That's us. And guess what we're called to do? Can anybody take a guess what we're called to do? Anybody want to take a guess? To make disciples. And you know what we teach them? We teach them God's word. We make much of Jesus. You know how it happens? It doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. It doesn't happen during home groups. You know when it happens? Life on life. When I can come to my brother and confess my sin and my brokenness, and instead of me just staying there, you know what he does to me? He points me back to the gospel. When I need encouragement or word of, of encouragement, or if he brings me a word, say, man, you know what? The Lord's placed some heart to share this. 
It happens in community, life on life. Because that's what we see today. It's someone that's been transformed by the word of God, so much so that their heart is cut, they're repented, they're seeking Jesus, they want to know about Jesus, because we're not just putting on a front. Man, we're so convicted by the weight of our sin, but we know that there's hope. But what it leads us to do is, man, we want to learn about our master. We want to learn about our king, our savior, who, man, who came down from heaven with this crown of righteousness, laid that aside and took on a crown of thorns, nailed to that cross. Why? To bring us into relationship with him. But a person that's been transformed by the gospel will want to be taught what our Lord and Savior taught. Watch, go to Acts chapter 1. One page over. Or maybe on the same page. Verse 2 and 3. I'll start from 1. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He predestined himself, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom to come. Jesus is teaching them about the future hope. And family, listen to me. We have a future hope. Every one of us that has believed the gospel, who has placed our trust in Jesus, we have a future hope. I love what 2 Peter says, an imperishable, unfading, undefiled hope. It's for us. We have a future hope. And we teach people the future hope. We show them Jesus in the Bible. We don't need to know systematic theology to share the gospel. We don't need to know the 101 ways to share your faith to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit of God that lives in every single follower and believer of Jesus Christ is empowered. We have a hard time believing that, but we are. We have to practice the power by stepping out in faith, praying that the Lord would open up a door for the gospel. You never know who God will open the door for. And when that moment is right to share the gospel, we share it. With that guy from Colorado, I could have easily just not said anything, been like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that your marriage is broken, bro. You know, hope you find a good counselor. You know, I'll talk to you later. Here are the parts. Give me my money. And then that would have been it. See, that's having the present things in mind. That's having these worldly things in mind. With gospel lenses with the future in mind, we take the advantage of every opportunity. When someone we know passes away, we share the hope of the gospel. We have that aunt or uncle who's dealing with depression or suicide, you share the hope of the gospel. 
Well, your marriage is falling apart. And there isn't any hope. The gospel is the answer. Every time the gospel is the answer. When you feel alone, like no one's there for you. And then your mother and your father have abandoned you. The gospel is the answer. Every single moment, family of our lives, we could share the gospel with people around us. People might have a smile on, might laugh, but under the covers, under behind that mask, they're dealing with a storm that you have no idea. So pray that the Holy Spirit will make you sensitive to hear people's stories, to not be judgmental. That's not how Jesus came. Now, he was around sinners, so much so that they wanted to be around him. You know, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop and I'm going I'm to go off track a little bit. You know what's interesting about that? Is that people nowadays, what they'll do is they'll set themselves up really holy. And, and, they, and they don't want to be around people that do certain things. Because like, oh, well, you know, that's not what we do. And we separate ourselves. And I've been guilty of this. That's why I can say this. I was very legalistic. Now, you too, brother? Amen. All right, good deal. I'm not the only one in the house. And what I would do is I would separate myself from these people, these people. But in reality, those are my friends who I had contact with. I would be the only one to be able to share the gospel with them because we already had a relationship. But I was setting my, my life aside because I didn't want to be associated with what people call the world. See, I had a misunderstanding. We need to understand that Jesus was around sinners so much so that they confused him for being a glutton and a drunkard. What does that say about Jesus? Besides, he liked to party and be around sinners. Because that's, that's where he was at. He was at the party. He was eating. He was drinking. He was there with the people in the midst of everybody to see with the prostitute, the tax collector, That says a lot. And we should never get to the point, family, where we don't feel, we we can't say, oh, well, they're not like me. They don't go to church. They don't pray to Jesus. Praise God that you know people like that. Now go and share the gospel with them. Pray for them. Get on your knees and ask the Holy Spirit of God to move in their lives. Because God was merciful with you. He brought you forth. Now you do the same thing. Check out verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Unity leads to community. When we believe the same thing, when we have the same hope, my brother said it earlier, he said, I may not look like most people up here, you know. You kind of look like me, though, bro, you know. Yeah, bro, you do. You do. Must be the beard. Thank you, bro. What brings the common thing together is that we've been bought by the same blood of Jesus, that our father is the same father. We have a different mother. He's my brother with a different mother with the same father. We have the same father. And that makes us brothers and sisters united for Christ. And listen to me, family. 
times we don't agree and we get hurt, it's going to happen. I promise you. There'll be moments that we don't agree on something. There'll be moments that you get mad at me, and I get it. But you know what? In community, you're so close to people, it's going to happen. But as our Lord and Savior forgave us, we're called to forgive those that offend us and trespass against us. I know it's easier said than done. That's why I want to share a story. You know, um, years ago, <clears throat> when the Lord had uh, started working in my heart, he took me to this place over here in San Marcos. It's called uh, Gary Job Corps. Job Corps. Job Corps. And um, over there is basically for a lot of people who basically want to do a trade and have given up in doing everything else in life. That's the best way I can put it. I was a bad kid when I was younger. I was really bad. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was bad. Um, but I dropped out of high school. I needed to get a GED. I wanted to get a trade. And so I go to Job Corps. And as I'm in Job Corps, I get placed in this dorm. It's, it was called 5105. I still remember to this day. But I remember in dorm 5105, it was the only dorm on campus that was co-ed. You had females on one side, males on the other side. And let me tell you, it was 50 to 60 people on each bay. Now, when you live with people that close, and I'm not talking about, I mean, we have people from every different nationality, different, literally different countries, and different lifestyles, different, man, it was like World War III on the women's side, and the guys, it's like they were always fist fighting every other night. And I'm thinking to myself, man, what did I get myself into? You know, I don't want to be here no more. I should have stayed in school. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I started thinking, for real. But what the crazy part is, is that for the first time, I had gotten exposed to living in community with people. And I started to learn people's different backgrounds, their ethnic backgrounds, their cultural backgrounds. But it wasn't until I began to know them and live with them that that could happen. See, from the outside, I could have just been like, okay, that's what you like. I get it. You told me why you don't like it, and I understand it from up here. But living in community, I was able to hear the hurts, the pain of what it meant to be Latino in a certain part of the country when it's predominantly white, what that looks like, or vice versa, being a white person. And I met people that were white who were being discriminated against. And I'm like, man, I know what you feel like, bro. That's what I went through. So now we were able to sympathize because where he was at. And it's crazy because it didn't happen until we were in community. See, it took a lot for me to understand that, a long time. But in community, we will offend each other. But if we, get the t we take the time to learn each other's stories, of where you came from, if you learn my story, because people tell me I'm very direct, if you would know that I was the, the youngest child, I was always being bullied in high school, that I was always the one that was quiet, wouldn't say anything, and I just let things build up in my heart so I exploded, and I saw where my anger took me, you would, get to, you would start seeing a small glimpse 
of why I am very upforward and direct. Now, likewise, every one of us here has a story of brokenness, a past. But we need to take the time in community to learn each other, to learn about each other. I mean, for real. Because only then will we know. And when we do offend each other or get mad at each other, we're called to forgive. Because the same blood that bought you bought me. The same Jesus that died for me died for you. We're not separate families. We're one family bought by the blood of Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing, family, to know that. So two things I want to call us to do today. Number one is that in community, if ever a moment in your walk and follow as a Jesus, following Jesus, if you've ever, ever been offended by someone, to forgive them, to really truly forgive them. We want the Lord Jesus to forgive us, but how quickly we forget, how quickly we forget how we offended God. They offended me, those people hurt me, can't believe they did what they did to me. These are the four things they did to me. I can't believe it. But I forgave them. But I know these four things still. Man, I thank God that Jesus is not like that. He says he cancels out the record of debt. And it's legal demands that stood against us. He doesn't hold the list and says, okay, you did what now? Okay. Yeah, I loved you and I forgave you, but I didn't forget. He doesn't do that. So what we do is we don't do that. Because in community, I promise you that will happen. It's not a question if it happens. It's be when it happens. We have to be reminded, family, that they were bought with the same blood, that we're called to forgive anyone of anything and apply that truth. Not just pick what we want out of the Bible. As a matter of fact, let's just go there. Let's go to Mark 10.45. I want, I want to show you what it says. Mark 10.45. Ten forty-five. Actually, eleven. Where is it at? So it's eleven. Go to eleven twenty-five. Uh, yeah. Go to eleven twenty-five. Eleven twenty-five. This is what it says. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that the Father, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. Forgive anyone. So the first thing is, forgive anybody who's hurt you in community. The second most important thing is get in community, family. I'm not talking about Sundays or Wednesdays, but community. Lock arms with people, pray together, fellowship together. What you see and read right here, you know what that means? That means living life together. Comiendo pan dulce, juntos, eating sweet bread and coffee, and just hearing people's stories. Man, cooking some fajitas. Man, I love to cook fajitas, man. If y'all come to my house, I love to cook. 
and just get to know people. But that fellowship, that breaking of bread, Brother Mo's like, yeah, you do cook some good fajitas. I love you, bro. I know you're hungry, bro. Me too, bro. We'll let Brother Eddie cook back there because he's a better cook. All right. But at the end of the day, family, getting to know people, and it it starts around some meals, just sharing some meals together, breaking bread. What that means is being reminded of the Lord's sacrifice. Be reminded what he did for us and praying together. Man, let your prayer requests be known unto God. When I could tell my brother, hey, bro, I need you to pray for me for this, for real. Because, man, I'm going through a storm right now. I know he's not going to judge me, but he's going to be there. He's going to say, let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. If I call one of my brothers, he'll say, let's pray right now. But that's community. That's the openness. So, family, I'll leave with this at the end of the day, that we are called to something more than this life. You have a future hope in Christ. Let's live today as though it's the last and make much of Jesus in every single moment and hour of the day. That being said, family, go ahead and bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, I thank you, Father. Lord, for your promises of the gospel, how it's not just for a certain few, Lord, but it's for all those who you called, Lord. And thank you, Lord God, that you have brought us, Lord, from death to life, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing in our hearts, Lord. Lord, it amazes me, Lord God, that that you love us the way you love us, God. When we were your enemies, when we were sinners without hope, Lord, in your love, you called us to yourself. You predestined us for adoption before the world began. You knew us by name. Your word says, Lord, you created us in our mother's womb. Lord, let us not be a generation of people, Father, that waste their lives, Lord, seeking after the treasures of this world, seeking after the pleasures of this world, seeking after our own kingdoms, trying to make much of our name. Lord, let our reputation be none because you made your reputation to be nothing by going to the cross. But your name is lifted up above every single name in heaven and earth. That at that name, that beautiful, awesome, amazing name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and call you Lord. Oh Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do such a transforming work in our hearts to lead us to to be bold and courageous, to be fierce, Lord, to not back down, but to share your word in everyday life, in everyday moments, creating relationships by sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with the stranger. But we ask, oh, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to be sensitive to who you want us to speak to. That you would open doors for the gospel, Lord, to be shared, for hope to be shared with, Lord. Lord, we need of you, Lord. We cannot do it on our own strength. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that, that you'd bring my brothers and sisters into a tighter community. 
Lord God, that we would be unified as a body, not scattered abroad, but that you would bring us together as one mind, as one heart. Seeking after you, Lord, because we know you're the one doing the work, Lord, but we need of you, Lord. Unify us to make much of your name, to call upon your name, to live for you and your glory, Lord. We pray and ask these things, Father, in Jesus' holy name, pray. Amen.